Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special edition, another special edition of The Griff Report. I'm joined with special guest Tommy Robinson. Tommy, what's up, man? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining the uh, platform today. We got a lot to get into. Um, now, I'm semi-familiar with your work. I mean, the, 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 the most I know is that uh, you're in the UK, um, people think you're a troublemaker, and you may or may not be a white nationalist. Uh, can you clarify some of those things for me really fast? I'll clarify, bro. So okay. um, I, I was born in 1982. When I was born in my hometown, there was one mosque. There's now 45, yeah? With open border immigration, there's problems. White English are a minority in my town, yeah? It's a majority Pakistani Muslim town. It's diverse. We've got sons. My mum was an immigrant. She was an Irish immigrant. My friends are St. Lucian, St. Lucian, Italian, Bulgarian, Jamaican. Everyone gets on pretty well, yeah? Everyone gets on pretty well. It does work. But there's always been one section of the community that do not assimilate or integrate at all. When I went to school, you had the Muslim playground and the non-Muslim playgrounds. Not the white and black one, the Muslim and the non-Muslim. That's how it was from this big growing up, yeah? There was something very different, something hostile, more violence um, that I witnessed, yeah? And so then as I grew up, I saw lots of problems that come from this level of immigration. I started speaking about them in 2009, which was the final straw. I'd seen, my, my hometown was the birthplace of Al-Majradeen, who are now a prescribed terrorist organization. Their head office was in Luton, my town, yeah? It was Luton, my town was named by the CIA as the epicenter for terrorist jihadist activity in Europe. So I grew up watching it, learning it, I knew the men that were joining these terrorist groups that were going to fight abroad in, in training camps. And in 2009, I formed an organization called the English Defense League, which was, I'd watched as none of these issues could be spoke about. People were, people were attacked with, and people were scared to talk about them because they were deemed as racist, yeah? You literally couldn't speak about these problems. In 2009, we decided enough was enough. We took to the streets. I formed a national organization where we, we built chapters and divisions in pretty much every town and city. And certain crimes that have been going on and that have been, that have been ignored, not just ignored, like when we get into this, you'll be shocked yeah, when you're hearing it. There was the rape of a generation of our daughters. My cousin was a victim in Luton. When she was 14 years old, she was taken by Pakistani men, groups of them, drugged, abused and raped. When the family went to the police, they ignored it. They just said she was a drug addict. Now, when, when we formed in 2009, we started hitting the streets in our thousands. So when people say I'm a troublemaker, we tried everything else. No one wants to listen to us. So in the end, we took it to the streets in our thousands. We had banners and placards that from the start read, read our daughters are not halal me, um, protect our daughters. We used to go into cities. I used to give speeches talking about the rape of our daughters and the kidnapping of our daughters. And I was called a fear monger. They said that we were making it up. And we continued to do this across the country. And in 2015, there was a government report where they actually, they actually in, in, a, in a city called Rotherham, they found that between 1997 and 2013, to, that there were 1,400 children have been raped by Pakistani Muslim gangs. And in the report, it found that the, the police knew, social services knew, everyone knew but they, they were too scared to deal, deal with it through the fear of being branded racist. So when people talk about political correctness and they want to know how powerful it is, that's how powerful it is. It will paralyze an entire police force. So when this sort of like, 
everything we'd said all of a sudden 2015 everyone's like hold on it's, it's true and, and and so you can understand some of these there's been 65 cities where these gangs have now been arrested and clamped down upon by the government but what we found out in every town and city the police knew it was happening they allowed it to happen and the statistics again five percent of the uk is muslim two and a half percent of the uk is is male muslim 90 percent of the convictions for groups of men who rape young children 90 percent are muslim men 30 percent of the men convicted are called Mohammed. The reason why I stress this to America, you've had open border immigration since Joe Biden, millions and millions and millions being brought in. When, when Americans talk about Mexican immigration, I think you've seen nothing yet. You have seen nothing. Wait until Pakistani, Afghan, Iraq, Syria. Your borders are now open to people with alien ideologies who will not integrate or assimilate. Yeah, I'll go 99% of Afghanis want Sharia law. 80 percent of Iraqis want Sharia law. Once these people come across the border, they're not changing their opinions or views. So I, I've spoke about these issues. I've made it very clear. I'm, I'm, I haven't been against immigration, yeah, because most of the people I love are immigrants. I've met some of the best people I've met growing up in Luton are Muslim. Yeah, some of the people I love are Muslim. That does not change the problems that come from Islamic supremacist ideology. Yeah, what's taught in Islam is problematic for the UK, for the West, for freedom, for all of the things we hold dear. And I think we're seeing that now with Hamas. But that, that's who I am. I set up a national organisation. We travelled the country. We made the government. We made the media talk about these issues. It's now common. They, they call it grooming. I don't know if you've heard. In the UK, they call it grooming, um, which is actually rape jihad. It's not grooming. But they call it grooming. And that's now common. Every, everyone's aware of it. I've spent my years since 2015 doing journalism. I, I make documentaries, exposés, I've exposed the BBC. I've done a five-part series called The Rape of Britain, where we go after these gangs, the, the Muslim gangs. We go after them, we look at their the reasons they're doing it, we investigate why they're doing it, why they're so massively... Like, you're not even allowed to ask these questions. Why are 90% of the convictions Muslim men? Why? Why, why aren't Sikhs doing it? Why aren't Hindus doing it? Why, why is it Muslim men? So um, I ask the questions that they don't want to ask. I talk about issues that people don't want to talk about. That's why I'm called a troublemaker. When they say white nationalists, um, I love my country. Um, every, my friends, I've always stood on the fact that my friends are a diverse group of, of friends. We're black, we're white. So I've always stood against the racism. I've stood against certain ideologies and certain groups. I'm known as a race traitor on one side. <laughs> I'm known as a Zionist on another. <laughs> and, then, and then the media want to call me a Nazi or a racist. It's insane. I've got every accusation going. But that's basically who I am. That's the, the work I've done. Um, the reason I say it's important to America, you need to brace yourself for what's coming because, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. There's a lot to unpack right there. So on it's one like, side, you're known as a race trader. On the other side, you're known as a Zionist. That I don't know how those two go together. I want to tackle that in a moment. Uh, I want to talk about this Muslim thing, though. Yep. So you said, <clears throat> obviously, huge growth, one mosque to 45, I believe you said. Um, and the problem obviously is sexual assault and rape. Um, why do you think they over index? Is it because of Islam or is it the type of people that they're importing into the country? So, um, we, I looked at this and I go through what the men say in the court cases. For example, in Bristol, one of the men who was prosecuted said it was uh, his Islamic it was his, his Islamic duty to do this, yeah? So when you look at the Quran and you understand Muhammad, Muhammad took non-Muslim women as sexual slaves. 
There's four verses in the Quran that say, outside of your four wives, you can take whatever your right arm possesses. You are blameless. Yeah? It's the reason Boko Haram kidnapped all the girls in Nigeria. It's the reason the Yazidi girls were taken in Syria and raped. It's the reason the Jewish women have just been taken as sexual slaves and raped as well. It's all halal. It's all permit. So that's, and, and, and as I go through, I say we have to look for the common denominator. We have to try to understand it. And just again, there's a town called Telford in the UK. I've done a five part series, an investigative journalist series on these gangs in that town. That town has a 1.7% Muslim population. Just so you can understand how big this problem is in Britain, it has a 1.7% Muslim population. There's three and a half thousand Muslims. Take away the women, take away the under 16s, take away the over 70s, you've got a thousand Muslim men. Yeah, thousand Muslim men in that one town. There's there's one thousand victims and five are dead. Yeah, in that one town, the police investigation identified two hundred men who were involved. My investigation got the names of two hundred and fifty-four. The independent inquiry got three hundred and sixty. Yeah, that means between twenty to thirty-six percent of the Muslim men in that town were involved in the prostitution, rape, and torture of kids. That is not a small minority. This is some. And when you go through all the cases. There's all brothers together in the cases. Fathers and sons are raping the girls together. There's a mindset going on here which we can't understand, that it's acceptable where a whole groups of men who work in a taxi ranks or have takeaway businesses. It's like, imagine in any normal business, if someone said, I've got a 12-year-old girl here, yeah? Should we rape them? Everyone would beat them up, yeah? Or certainly inform the police. Literally, every member of the business rapes the girl, yeah? It's so, it's so accepted, why? Why is it accepted? And again, I go through what they say. What they say in their court cases, I go through what the victims say. They refer to the girls as kafar, filthy kafar, worthless, you're trash, you should be covered up. It's all to do with their religious intolerance, their intolerance of women, especially non-Muslim women. And it is, in the UK, it's called grooming. In India, it's called love jihad. In, in Holland, it's called lover boys. Yeah, it's, it's, it's groups of Muslim men kidnapping non-Muslim women and raping and torturing them. And when you go through the cases, one girl in Oxford, a city called Oxford, people think of Oxford, you think of the beautiful Oxford University, the culture. No, not anymore, mate. Not, not when you see what's going on there, yeah? A girl was 12. She had the, a hot iron rod with the letter M, heated up, and then he scolded her backside at the age of 12 because she was the property of Mohammed. They took another girl, they nailed her tongue to the table, yeah. These, when you hear and understand what they've done, it wasn't about sexual gratification. They destroy the girls. They literally destroy them. So I've looked at it. That's, that's, I, I asked the questions. Why is it happening? Did Mohammed take sexual slaves? Yes, he did. did is, it, is, it, is it permitted? Is it acceptable, acceptable under Islam? Yes, it is. Um, these girls are being taken as slaves in every town and city. But the biggest failure and the biggest shock of all this is that the government knew, the police knew, and nothing was done. They why? actually facilitated. Why, why do you think your government is allowing this stuff to happen? Uh, that's the power of not just political correctness, but fear. Yeah? It's the same reason why Hamas have took over the, our capital city in, in their hundreds of thousands. Yeah? It's the same reason why they're flying ISIS flags, um, Hamas flags, they're calling for the gassing of Jews. They do not get arrested. Yeah? When we go through, so th these rape gangs, in the, in the city of Telford I spoke about, where the police identified 200, they've only prosecuted 11. Yeah, they've only prosecuted 11, 189 ain't getting done. So in each town and city, they've grabbed a handful. And I can pick you any crimes, you know, female genital mutilation. Do you, know, you understand what that is? FGM? No, uh, female no, genital mutilation. Yeah, FGM is a practice where the girls, as young girls, age two, three, four, they cut their clitoris off 
because they're not supposed to enjoy sex. They're just there to have a baby, yeah? 55,000 British girls, Muslim girls, that's happened to. There's been a 14-year prison sentence for someone doing that. Since the 1980s, not one person's been sent to jail. The reality is, if you wanted to send the parents to jail, you've just filled every prison cell in our country for that one crime. They go, and the, the, the most alarming thing is British Muslims, is, they're 5% of the British population. We have 40,000 Muslims on a terror watch list. Three to 4,000 of them are monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week, yeah, at a cost of £9 billion a year. That, that's now. The, de the Islamic demographic literally doubles every 10 years. Yeah? We, we have big problems. And my point, my, the point I, I raise is when they're making up 5% of the population, they are appeased now. They're feared now. Yeah? God help Europe when they get to 20%. God help Great Britain when they get to 20%. And I know when, when I make comments like this, it can be easy for people to get upset or think I'm talking about every single Muslim when I'm not, yeah? When I'm not. But the, 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 the peaceful Muslims are totally irrelevant when the power that Islam has and, and the influence it has on a community. We're already seeing now, like, we're, when it comes to policing communities, they literally, we've had terrorist organisations on our capital city demanding terrorism, calling for jihad, and they don't get arrested. We come out on our streets, we get beat with coshes by our police battered, with, we, and it's a total unfair two-tier policing system. And our home secretary just lost her job recently, Suella Braven. She came out and called out the Metropolitan Police Force for their, their biased policing. We saw it with Black Lives Matter. The police didn't police. They were too scared. Yeah, Anything like that, when, when they're on the streets rioting, the same as the pro-Hamas rallies, it's policed very differently to how they want to uh, police what we would call the nationalists, the patriots, Whatever. So, yeah, I think. So, um, so, all right. So fear. Right. You made that apparent. But I'm still lost on why, because I think Europe is for Europeans, is, you know, and that's majority. You know, I guess what we call them is white. Um, but I'm just trying to figure out if the government is consisted of Europeans and white folks, why would they do something um against their constituents of Europeans and white folks? I, I believe to we, fearful? I, be, I believe not just Europe, but America too. Your borders are open. Our borders are open. It's not a mistake. Yeah, They're not just, they're not fluking their way here. They're being bought here. Yeah, And I believe they're doing it to destroy the structure of our communities, to break down our resilience. Is that the same as the attack on the family? It's all happening at the same time. And then what? What's that? And then what? After they break the family, break the resilience, what's the next step in their goal? That they can implement more laws on us and more power over us. Mm. And I think that they actually want conflict. And and they essentially now, say like we, we've got 30% of the hotels, yeah, even in Ireland, are filled with single migrant men, yeah? single fighting age migrant men, 30%. If the money stopped tomorrow, what's going to happen? If the money stopped tomorrow and they weren't housed tomorrow, we've already got conflict on the streets that they can't deal with. Yeah, We're seeing how they can't deal and can't police things now. If they continue to flood our countries the way they are and the money stops, there's an economic an economic breakdown like we haven't seen, then there is going to be a clash of civilizations. There is going to be a lot of problems, a lot. And at that point, if that's what they are orchestrating, because it seems like that, that's what they're orchestrating. When you read the Barcelona Declaration, you read, this isn't a mistake. They're literally getting 10 metres off the coast of Libya and getting bought in. They took out Gaddafi in order to open the floodgates of Europe. So when you're looking at what's happening, I believe we are being replaced. I believe we're being replaced by people who they they want. So if you look at the Democrat Party in the United States, they wanted the black community relying on them. Yeah, this is the same. They want people relying on them, relying on the state, big government. We don't want that. 
Yeah, they want that, and they they are literally important voters who want that as well. So I think that they see it as control. Um, that's the problems we face. And when I say control, my town Luton again, we had, we and we'll go back to 2013. In 2013, I'd done this demographical change, and in 2013, by 2030, the Bangladeshi and the Pakistani community were going to increase by 77 percent. Yeah, the white and black community by 1.2 and 1.3. Yeah, the future is this community. Yeah, that's what the politicians know. So they to to get the Labour vote, which is your Democrat party, to get the Labour vote, they do they would there was nineteen mosques at that point. They used to do a deal with the leader of the council of mosques. They don't care about us because they get forty thousand votes like that from there. Yeah, and they organise themselves in a military fashion, the Islamic community, with the way they vote, the infiltration of the system, and and what comes first. That's the problem. It's like what comes first to. To, to different communities, but what comes first to a Muslim, a true Muslim, is Islam comes first, Islam comes second, Islam comes third. Not the rule of law, not democracy, not free speech. Islam, 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 which actually goes against all three of those things. So I believe when you look at what's happening, it cannot be a mistake. We, as if we can't close our borders, yeah? as, if, if, as if our governments can't, if they wanted to, but they continue to flood it with, with, um, with labour, with migrants, who many of them are not going to benefit our society, which is the, the purpose of immigration. Not just not going to benefit, but there isn't going to be integration or assimilation. It's not going to work. You're mixing so, oil and water. So this sounds like uh, the great replacement theory, where uh, I guess the people of a nation are replaced by a foreign entity. What happens to the people to get replaced? Are they displaced? Are they erased? What happens to those people? Well, I think when I looked at London's figures the other day, London's figures went from 87% white to now 37% white in 50 years. Yeah. So these these conspiracy theories, they don't look like conspiracy theories. Not when you look at my town. Yeah. So what I've seen it. And then what happens is the English are moving out. The, the cities now are Islamic controlled. And whoever controls the streets controls the town. Yeah. The Pakistanis and the Islamic community are, very, are more hostile than us. They're more aggressive than us. They're all into the drugs. They're into the heroin. They're controlling the streets. If you look through the prison system, this, there's so many different attacks going on. The prison system, the conversions. Obviously, I don't know if you've looked what's going on in America. They're targeting the black community in, the, in, in Great Britain jails. They're converting all of them. Yeah? They're converting people who have been disenfranchised, uh, failed by society, wronged by society. Most people who end up in prison haven't had the opportunities most other people have had. They've been wronged. Islam comes along as an ideology and gives them a, a, a strong belief, a community belief, and a, a reason to hate uh, and someone to blame as well. So we're seeing that. We're seeing 800 a year are coming out of radicalised from British UK's uh, prison system. That's an MI5 statistic, 800 a year. But I, I just can talk about what I've seen so, in So if Europe is built by the Europeans and had many Europeans, um, I mean, we're talking about the West, right? Huge empire. Um, and again, you had 1.87% population of whites. Um, where did the white men fail? And I'm not talking about in parliament or anything like that. Where did they fail, um, in protecting, um, their land, protecting their sovereignty, protecting their children? I'd say an attack on our identity and who we are, uh, making us feel ashamed of who we are, making us feel that we can't be proud in who we are, proud of our history in any way. I believe it's a, an attack on masculinity at the same time. We have become a generation of selfish cowards. 
who care more about themselves than care about their country or their community. Yeah? So this is individualism versus collectivism almost. And that's what's happened. And, and I believe that back, if you look back in the 60s, if you, if you go back generations, that you had, you had, you had, you had 14-year-olds pretending they were 16 so they could sign up, run into the fields and die to protect and give down a safe and prosperous Britain to the next generation. Right now, you've got fully grown men whispering not too scared to even talk about things, looking at their curtains. It's, it's embarrassing, it's humiliating, but we need to reinstall the the um, the, the, the Englishness or the pride in, in who we are. And I think that I don't blame people, if I'm honest as well, because they've managed to get... When I started my activism, I, I, I used a false name, yeah? My name's not Tommy Robinson, my real name, right? And I wore a mask. Because when I started my activism in 2009, I had seven properties and two businesses. And I, like most other people, wanted to succeed. My passion was making money. I wanted to succeed for my family. I wanted to succeed and be a success. But then at that point, I realized it doesn't matter how much money you've got. It doesn't matter how successful you are. We're fucked. The next generation are in trouble. Yeah, this. I'm looking around my hometown thinking, no, no, this isn't good. Yeah, The change is not beneficial to us. It's never going back. No one can see our country. You can't see the United States now. I'm not in America, but you can't see in Great Britain. No one can say it's going in the right direction. No one can say we're a better country now than we were 10 years ago. There's more freedom than there was. There's more safety than there was. Everything's declining. Everything. And um, yeah, I think that we have so, let it happen. There's been an, uh, an, a, 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 an attack on masculinity. I guess it's safe to say there's been an attack on white identity, right? Um, yeah. Unable to say I'm proud to be white. Um but what I'm trying to get at is somebody had to be uh, asleep at the wheel, right? Um, somebody within the constituency of white people, uh, for lack of a better term, had to be asleep at the wheel. What were they doing instead of, and maybe this is what you were talking about, a, a bit of ideological subversion where you move from collectivism to individualism. Because I know here in America, everybody that's conservative you know, talks about individualism and they they shun collectivism, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you're saying collectivism is the better way and individualism is is maybe the 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 I'm main saying, thing that that destroyed. Um, I'm, I'm saying that there's been an infiltration of the education system across the entire West. Yeah? OK, by, by Marxist ideologies, which are promoting all of the whether it be critical race theory now, but all of these different things are being pushed on the next generation. Transgenderism. We are becoming a mess. And that is not a mistake either. Yeah? So you look eight, 90 percent of the professors in British universities are a far left ideology. 90 percent. Yeah? They're in there. They're educating the next generation. They're influencing the next generation to hate themselves, yeah? to believe that their history is this. So by the time people are coming through in a generation, you see the change. You just have to look at the mindsets of the new generation coming out of the universities in the United States or Great Britain in comparison to their parents. Yeah, That is not a mistake either. They got into the minds. They're winning the battle. Yeah, that We're funding it. We're funding it all. Whilst our universities are creating people who hate our nation, who hate our culture, who hate our identity, who wish to, wish to celebrate everyone else's identity apart from their own. It's frowned upon to speak proudly of your nation. You see now... I look at the scenes. I'm like, would it, would it, was it imaginable 20 years ago for so many to hate the United, the flag of the United States to want to rip it down? Same in Great Britain. What's happened? That hasn't just happened like that. That is a conservative effort to get into the system to bring up the next generation. They're, my son's got 450 pupils in his year. Yeah, 60 of them are transgender. 60. What is going on? Yeah, 60. Set that they are. The, the next generation are that 
fried, yeah, in who they are, in understanding, they can't even understand the difference between a boy and girl. Yeah? But what, how are they ever going to fight? How are they ever going to resist? How are they ever going to stand up for themselves? If you don't even know who you are, you're not going to fight for yourself. You're not going to fight for where you've come from. So that's where I, I, I think that, I think that all of these pieces for me, I used to speak about Islamic immigration. All I ever spoke against was Islamic immigration. Mm -hmm. Then I realized, I think after COVID, after all the vaccines, after everything, I started putting it all together, thinking, oh, there's a much bigger plan here. The, the, the feminization of men, the attack on the family, Black Lives Matter, when you go and look at what they, what they were pushing for, um, break down the nuclear family, end capitalism. It's the, they're all the same movements, the Hamas thing now, the pro-Palestinian thing now, the level of hatred we're seeing in universities, teachers and having to lock themselves inside cupboards from the students. The, the next generation don't want free speech. They don't want free speech. Do, do you have any historical texture to this conversation in regard to uh, the leftist uh, ideology takeover? Um, I have a little bit of Europe, definitely way more um, conceptualization of it in America. But from a European standpoint, how did leftism take over where you're from? How did leftism take over? I believe that when you have committed, when people are committed, and, and and they made the comments back at the time of the Soviet, like is to get into the education system, is to get into the minds of the of the next generation. Yeah? So you think we've this comes out of Russia? We've been asleep. We've been asleep. America's been asleep. We've all been asleep. We've been asleep whilst, and not just asleep. You're working how many hours? Your wife's working how many hours? Who's to, who, who is actually having the influence on your child? You or your wife or the education system? Mm. The education system that's now teaching them what? That's now telling them what? Can't tell them what a man or girl is. Tell them to be weak. Tell them to be feminized. Tell them all these things. So I think that I, I look at it now. I think, well, where, where were you as a parent? My kids ain't being brought up like because I'm. It, I make sure that they know that my boy knows to be a strong man. He knows who he is. My girls are the same. They know. They, they know their roles as, as women and, and what's expected. But that's all been polluted. It's all been attacked. That the feminism. Um, I think that we've been asleep. I think the whole entire West has been asleep. The West has been asleep, and you have to understand that, that, that these people are committed in the ideology. They want to break the system, defund the police. Of course, you want to defund the police. You want chaos. You want to get rid of the police. You want to attack everything. And um, and I look around, and I see, I see now that you're, when I started in 2009, the English Defence League, we tried to go into Europe. And to be honest, when I started talking about these problems, no one wanted to listen. They did not want to listen. And I think the, the reason for that being is, say we're right. Yeah? Say we're right. This is where we're, the nation's heading. What are you going to do about it? You've actually now got a man, man up. You've got to do something. And most people don't want to because they're happy in their little bubble, living their little life. So I looked at most of my mates very differently when I started the English Defence League. I started the English Defence League and most lads, when we were holding our rallies now, they didn't want to come. And he's like, mate, I'm all right, man. I've got my job. And, and, and they have everyone too scared because of cancellation, because of censorship. Everyone's too scared to open their mouth because they will lose their job. There are government-funded NGOs, especially in Great Britain. I've done an amazing expose documentary on a group called they're a George Soros-funded group, but they're called Hope Not Hate. They are part of our. They are part of the deep state in the, in Great Britain. That their job is to come in. That is to end free speech. So anyone who speaks out, they find out where you work, your HR department. They contact them. They have full teams. Yeah, they contact them. He said this. He said this. And I've, I've done a documentary exposing them. But they also fill the void. You've got them in the United States. The media matters. You've got these different organisations that they fill the gap where the media aren't allowed to pay people to give stories in the UK. So these NGO groups come in. They pay ten. I, I got covert recordings. They spent twenty thousand pounds for one girl. And then they get the girl. Say they, they got my old employees. They then sit them on TV and they pay them to say things. Yeah. 
So the, the BBC don't get their hands dirty because they're not paying any money. But they act as the agent that brings them in, then the media pump the lies around the world. The attacks, whether it be on Andrew Tate, it's exactly, hope my hate were involved in what went on with Andrew Tate. And ma making up sexual allegations. I've, I've had I've had every attack. I've done a documentary called Panorama. Yeah? Panorama are the BBC's flagship investigative programme. They are the best there is in the BBC, yeah? the best uh, reputation. I found out they're doing a document, a, a hit piece on me called Tommy Takedown. That was their working title. I sent a girl undercover into their programme to meet their top dude, who, who was the, his name was John Sweeney. I got them on camera telling people what to say in covert recordings. I got them making innocent conversations into sexual allegations. The head of the program says, starts laughing, yeah, on covert recording, and saying we're, we're, we're making this into a sexual thing against Tommy Robinson. Their goal was to make me into a Harvey Weinstein figure with a massive mainstream documentary piece called Panorama. The reason they wanted to do that was because in 2017, I was arrested outside a court case in London where I went to report and I was talking about these, these rape gangs. I was taken off the streets and sentenced to 13 months for reporting. Yeah? Sentenced to 13 months, looked the case up. I was sentenced to 13 months. I was put straight in solitary confinement. After 12 weeks, we got back in court. There was a massive campaign to free me. 700,000 people signed petition in the UK. Um, Paul Gassar flew over, York, one of your congressmen. Gert Wilders, who's just been elected as prime minister of, of Holland, flew into Britain. There was mass rallies. Raheem Kassan organised them. There was massive rallies demanding my release. They were scared by the influence I then had. They were working on a piece to take me down. Now, when I got all the covert recordings proving, you know, like when people say, oh, CNN, they're fake news, BBC's fake news. I had it, every bit of it in evidence, yeah? I went and met a top journalist who used to work for the Times newspaper called Stephen Bird. I went and met him and said, here's what I've got yeah, in recordings. He looked at it, he said, do you understand how big this is? This is like panorama. You've, they're banged to rights. I said, I know how big it is, yeah? He went to see his editor, come back, we're not allowed to run it. I said, what do you mean you're not allowed to run it? We're not allowed to run it. I produced that documentary that had 2 million views in 48 hours. They had 2 million views in 48 hours. I was then, not one single British journalist reported that the, the head of Panorama lost his job, but he went on gardening leave, yeah? So if you want to know if your media is controlled, not one single British journalist reported on the biggest expose there's ever been against the BBC. Covert recordings of them creating news, faking news, manipulating news, saying they can cut and edit things together. They were caught bang to rights. And not one, and it didn't go. The, 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 the hit piece they were doing on me never materialised, didn't come out. My documentary came out. Within 48 hours of that documentary coming out, I was uh, deplatformed off YouTube, off Facebook, and I, was, I received a letter from my government's attorney general re-prosecuting me for something from a year before, and they sent me back to jail. So I talk about these, I've been, I talk about these, 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 uh, the attack on freedom of speech, but it's the attack on the narrative. If you go against the narrative, they're coming for you. I, this, I'm going into off, off on all different angles, yeah? So that was Panorama. I now face two years in prison right now. I'm waiting for a two-year prison sentence for a film, a film. I made a film called Silence, which proved the corruption of the judiciary with covert recordings. It proved large sums of money with covert recordings were being paid to make sure they controlled the stories in the media and they were paying people not to tell the truth. I got it all on a film. I got an injunction from a high court judge called Justice Nicklin that said, if, the, if the, any of these recordings are ever released, you will receive two years in jail. That film was leaked seven months ago in the United States. I left the country. I returned to the country last month. Within 48 hours, I received a letter again from the Attorney General saying they're starting proceedings against me for a film, a film which everything is 100% factual. 
and I'm, I'm going to get two years in jail. When I get two years in jail, their controlled media will just say, I breached an injunction. I breached an injunction. And that, that level of influence and attack, and you know, like, you see the, the court cases against Donald Trump. You see the court cases against Steve Bannon. Yeah? So this film I made, is, it's about me, but it's not, because they're doing it in every country. Yeah? Everyone who stands up, they come for you. Yeah? They come for you. They, you've seen Russell Brand. So, you've seen Andrew Tate. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to change gears really fast here. Ladies and gentlemen, um, <clears throat> I'm going to uh, take phone calls at the end of this interview. If you'd like to get in line, text Hotep your name at 202-596-5631. 202-596-5631. Text Hotep your name to that number at the conclusion of this uh, interview. Uh, we'll take phone calls. Um, I want to talk about Zionism. I want to talk about the conflict in the Middle East, Palestine versus Israel. Um, why are people saying that you are uh, a Zionist? So they say I'm a Zionist because I believe I don't hate Jews. Yeah? Not just I don't hate Jews. I believe if there's 57, 55 or 57 Islamic nations, then the Jews can have one. Yeah? I believe that historically it's, it's their land. Yeah, What's the fucking problem? They're surrounded by totalitarian Sharia-driven shitholes yeah? with no human rights, no freedom. The only country in the Middle East that has any freedoms or rights for people is Israel. I went there. I spent time there. Yeah, I went there and I actually went. I went and I paid young Arab Muslims to take me into a Fatah-controlled refugee camp, yeah? which at the time, it, and I, I probably am one of the most vocal critics of Islam in Europe. Yeah. If they'd have known who I was, I'd have lost my life. Yeah, I went there because I wanted to spend a day in there with the Islamic refugees, and I did. The lad, the lad who I met, who took me in there, he had no idea who I was. He was a fourth, ge fourth generation Muslim refugee. Lovely lad. I related with him more than anyone I met the whole time in Israel. Yeah, he was the same as me. I spent time with him, and as I'm walking around, he's showing me on all the sides of the houses are the people who, like, they're martyrs. Yeah, they call them freedom fighters, terrorists. Yeah. It's like this woman, she blew up a bus. This person done this. They're all martyrs on the sides of the houses. I said, okay. And then he corrected me. He said, basically, uh, so if the Palestinian Authority pay for the rest of your life. So I went with my mate, who's a black lad, who I grew up with at school. I, I took him with me, yeah, because he loves history. So we went and had a look. We're walking around. I said, where's the playground? Where's the football pitch? He goes, there ain't one. But he said, we've had four times more money than Germany after the World War, yeah? He said... We don't, it doesn't come to us. Yeah. The money doesn't come to us. The Palestinian authority who govern us, they pay anyone who cut from this refugee camp. It made me view everything differently. They pay anyone from this refugee camp who goes and kills an Israeli. I said, what if they go and kill a Jew? He corrected me. He said, no, it doesn't have to be a Jew. Go and kill an Israeli. Yeah. If you kill an Israeli, you get, say, the equivalent of £5,000 a month for the rest of your life. So if you go to jail, your family get that money. So if you're looking, as I looked at my mate, I said, bro, we've both got kids. Yeah? I, play, I was playing football with all the kids. The only way out of this life as a refugee, fourth generation, is to go and kill. Yeah? And then your family is safe from this. Yeah? So he, he, I said, who's oppressing me? I kept expecting to hear Israel, the Palestinian Authority. He didn't mention Israel, the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian Authority. I looked up the Palestinian Authority. We fund them. British taxpayers' money goes to... We're funding them to pay for mercenaries to go out and kill Jews. I understand there's problems on either side, yeah? The reason they say that I'm a Zionist... When I was in Israel, I went to a shop, and you know they sell Mossad T-shirts. When I was in New York, I bought, I bought a New York Police Department T-shirt. I'm not in the New York Police Department, right? I bought a Mossad T-shirt. They all put this picture up of me in with a Mossad T-shirt from a, from a shop saying, look, he's Mossad. He's fucking... He's Mossad. It's like, come on, man. But I have been very outspoken to say... Hamas or ISIS, yeah? Hamas is 
Article 7 on their, on their manifesto, I think it's Article 7, says the final day of judgment does not come until every Jew is dead. It doesn't say until every Zionist is dead. It says until every Jew is dead. How do you negotiate with that? They're the people who are governed in. They were elected by 48% of the, uh, of, the of the population. They are terrorists. They are jihadists. They've already said, first come Saturday, then come Sunday. Once we've done the Jews, we're doing the Christians. If anyone thinks, this is what I look at and I think, if anyone thinks, look how emboldened they've come in the West from killing 1,500 Jews, yeah? If you think, if they conquer Israel, well, you think they stop there? You really think they stop there? This, jih this jihadist mindset is about Islamic supremacy, world domination. I see Israel as it being in their way, yeah? And I also see, I don't, I see the Israeli government doing wrongs the same way Joe Biden's government are doing wrongs, the same way my government are doing wrongs, but I separate the governments from the people. The average innocent Jewish person living in Israel, um, I, and it's like I tried to explain it in Great Britain, say England, we've got England and we border with Scotland. Now, if Scotland elected a government that said the final day of judgment does not come until every English person is dead, and then every day they just fired these rockets indiscriminately into houses in England, we'd be saying, blow the shit out of them. Yeah? Get rid of that government in Scotland. So Israel aren't allowed to. Hamas... With Iranian proxy money, it's like that. So I take the side of Israel, and I unashamedly take the side of Israel. Yeah, that doesn't mean I believe it's acceptable that young Palestinians are dying, that innocent people are dying. But if you want to free Palestine, freedom from Hamas, because these bloodthirsty, monstrous scumbags who are attacking indiscriminately against women and children, purposely, Israel, I believe, goes out their way to try and prevent that. Um, I know there's wrongs on each side, so that's why people say. And, and, and for me, it's like. I so, don't. I understand. Yeah. So, so, so for so, that, I'm a kind of... <laughs> So let's. Um, I, I just want to pick your brain here, and just to get your opinion on all of this. Uh, you know, historically, how it works is um, uh, the West defeats the Ottoman Empire um, under a British mandate. Um, Palestine is under their control, um, somewhat, and. Um, they say, hey, we're going to, you know, set this land aside uh, for the Jews, right? And then there's um, massive support that comes in as far as resources and investment. And then there's a huge inflation or migration of Jews into that region. Uh, there are promises that they were not setting up a state. They have since set up a state. Um, so is this a, a, a moral argument that people are having uh, or, or, cause to me, I just look at it like, you know, colonization happens, right? You blamed a whole lot of things on Islam and, you know, they want to conquer the world. And I'm like, well, I think China wants to conquer the world. I think America wants to conquer the world. I think the British empire wants to conquer the world. I think that's just the nature of empires. So I don't see them being different in that regard. But, um, do you think this is a, a more of a moral argument of what's happened in Israel? Because from a military standpoint, um, you know, they basically, uh, colonized that land. Well, historically, it's their land. They were there before any Muslims were there. They were, they've been there 3,000 years. Historically, at some point... Historically or biblically? Well, biblically as well. But okay. it's like when you say... when you say it's, 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 it, I don't hear this argument about Baluchistan. Yeah? Baluchistan was the land that was taken from... Pa Pakistan took the land. The Pakistani military have starved their people. They've took their energy. They've took their resources. No one talks about it. Why not? Because they're not Jews. Yeah? There's plenty of land like this. We created Pakistan. Yeah, We've cre there's lots of different countries like this that no one wants to talk about. It's like Assad uh, or the Syria, Yemen. How many people being killed in Yemen? Where were they? Where was the street protests? Where is? Where was it? The, 
the Quran, Mein Kampf, Hitler's book, is 7% Jew hatred. Yeah? The Quran's 9%. The Hadith is 12%. Yeah? So take out Israel out of the conflict. There's no one think there's no Jew hatred. Muhammad beheaded 600 Jews in one day. Yeah? Kayuba, Kayuba. That's what you hear them chanting in the streets of the UK and around the West. Kayuba, Kayuba. They're chanting about when Muhammad, 600 Jews surrendered, and he beheaded them all. And then after beheading the leader, leader of the tribe, he married his wife that night, which we know what that means. He raped her. Yeah. So I just believe there's a lot of hypocrisy in the argument. I don't believe it's perfect in any sense, but I understand Hamas. I understand the Islamic jihadist mindset. I understand that previous conflict, when Israel first went there, I think they wanted 20%. They offered the Palestinians 80%. They didn't accept that. They've continually not accepted any agreements. Yeah? And Yasser Arafat, any of the people who have led them have told us what it's about. Yeah? Hamas have now told us. Their leaders have come out, said it's, it, it, they, they don't just want to conquer Israel. They want to conquer everywhere. They want to conquer Europe. Yeah, As I said, Jews first, uh, Christians second. So in, in a battle between Jewish people and Israel and jihad, because I believe this is a 1,400-year war. This isn't started in 1948. Yeah? I believe that this idea, this mindset of jihadism, and, and, and when we talk about land, so under Islam, Islam conquered Spain. That means that they believe that's their land. So at the minute, the call for jihad might be in in uh, in Israel. Yeah, when there's twenty percent in Europe, you better believe they're coming to take Spain back. Yeah, because their mindset and their ideology tells them they have to. So that's the conflict. That's how I see the conflict. I see it as jihad. Um, you either you either for jihad or against jihad, and this is a holy war. Um, but I don't I don't for one minute defend every single second or everything the Israeli government have done. I believe that. I believe that, you know, when in the Seven Day War, all the Islamic nations and all the leaders of the Islamic nations basically told them, we're going to take your women. We're raping your women and we're taking your daughters. We're going to drive you into the sea. Would I mess around after hearing that? Would I mess around after the Holocaust? Would I fuck about if I wanted to defend myself? I wouldn't, man. So I understand it. I don't think it's perfect. But at the same time, my battle or what I highlight is jihad, Islamic supremacy, Hamas. We're not talking about ordinary innocent people here. Yeah? We're talking about Hamas, mm. who govern that entire area, yeah? funded by Iran. Yeah, mm. we, 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 other Arab nations. Yes, yeah? so that. So yeah, it's a. It's, it's it, this is it's this a mess. Is, it's it's a little bit weird to me because in America the far right is on the Islamic side and they believe in white nationalism, but you know your form of you know, I guess white nationalism is on the Israeli side. So it's like the two far rights across the pond are diametrically opposed. And uh, they're each not. Other. No, they're not because the far right in the UK are on the are on the Islamic side here as well. Because the far right in the UK say that the Jews are creating this mess of immigration to break down the white race. That's what they're arguing right. is the far right. Right. Same as in America. Um I don't I don't believe that's because I don't I don't I believe there's problems, yeah. When you look up when I look at I looked at Hollywood and I looked at Hollywood and I looked at the percentage of Jews in Hollywood, and then I looked at the donations politically from the people in Hollywood, and 98% of the donations from the people in Hollywood would go Democrat, yeah? So that, but 48, I think it was about 48% off the top of my head of them were Jews. So the other 50 odd percent, the other 50% were also funding Democrat. So is it a Jewish problem or is it an ideological problem? Is it, that, that, so when I was looking at all the different things, I look, I've looked at this because I've listened to both sides of the argument, I understand it's not all Jews who are orchestrating this, these invasions. Um, there are some that happen to be Jewish. Are they doing it because they're Jewish? It, does that represent every Jew? Does that mean that all the Jews want that? I don't believe it does. And I, and I know some great 
I have some great friends and activists at the same time. And I also, um, I think what you'll see is the people who are called far right. So Gert Wilders is called far right. Gert Wilders just won the election. Yeah? He's now the prime minister of Holland. He won 37 seats. He is, um, he is gone, uh, Vlaams Belang are predicted to win the Belgium elections next. Both of them are pro-Israel. Yeah, they're not, they're called far right. They're both pro-Israel. I, I, when I first started my activism in 2009, Gert Wilders was under five different fatwas. Yeah, he had to be killed by Saudi, Pakistan, all these mullahs, Iran, they all called for his death over a film he made. And I watched and learned a lot from him and, and listened to him saying, like, if Israel falls, the West falls. Yeah. If Israel, and I, and I learned and listened to a lot. And then, and then I, I think now, look what just happened. Yeah? Do, do, do you think if there was a jihad now and all the Islamic nations wiped out and took over Jerusalem and took over Israel, you don't think it's coming here? That's why I look at, have you not seen the streets of our capital cities? Have you not seen the terrorist groups now calling for jihad in every town sea? Do you not see that the embold, how emboldened they are by the attack on Israel? Um, so that's how I that's how I view things. So so if, so uh, you believe that right that um, if Israel falls, America falls. Um, those two I, are. I, sort believe, of... I believe that Europe will, is next. I think that if, if all those Islamic countries wipe out Israel, um, then Europe's next. And I believe they've already they're already in every town, major town and city in Europe. We've seen that by the demonstrations. I think it's woke a lot of people up. They're also in every town and city in America now. Your boards have been open for four million. How many terrorists across? How many pro Hamas? How, how many people are around? This is an Iranian proxy army on our streets. Yeah, and I think that um, yeah, I think that. I think there's probably. I think that it's already here in mass numbers. The mm. terrorism rates across you. Christmas, yeah, uh, just little things like this. You go to a Christmas market now in London. You have armed police with machine guns. You have we 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 call them diversity barriers. You have huge blockades fortified around the whole Christmas market. Yeah, what five percent Muslim? That's what it's like when it's five percent Muslim. You go to Hungary, Budapest, or Poland. I'm going to do this at Christmas and put together a video and show everyone. Yeah, it's still beautiful. It's still calm. There's still no violence, yeah? There's still no terrorism, right? What do we want? Do we want to succumb every freedom? Do we want to give away every freedom? I look at my kids and think, no, I want you to enjoy freedom. I want you to enjoy Christmas. I want you to enjoy a thing I've enjoyed. When it gets to 20%, will there even be Christmas markets? They're canceling Jewish festivals now in the UK. They're canceling Jewish festivals now. So it, it, the more Islam, the less freedom. That's where we're going, right? People can either sit down, and, and when people talk about, because I hear a lot, the argument from the far right who hate me is that, um, all immigrants are a problem. The black community are not increasing at any exponential rate. Yeah, the black, the blacks who have come to the UK were Christian. They integrated, they assimilated. You will not see a group of black lads without white lads in the middle of them. You won't see a group of white lads without black lads in the middle of them. I challenge every journalist who ever comes to my hometown, go and find a group of Muslims with one non-Muslim. You won't. Not one. You won't find them unless they're selling drugs. You will not find it. So we either want totally segregated Islamic ghettos, yeah, that are going to grow and grow and grow, or we try and deal with it whilst we still can. And we will get to a number where we can't. And we already, the policing is so weak, it's so cowardly, it's so pathetic. Um, and I think that a lot of people have been woken up by the sheer numbers and the level of venom and hate on the streets. And when people are confusing themselves, saying, well, why is this? If you had a political organisation, Again, if you had a political organization that's set up tomorrow and 10% of their manifesto was Jew hatred, would it be allowed to continue? No. Would it? No. So why is Islam? Why is this book 
that has this hatred, has a hundred verses calling for the murder of non-Muslims. Yeah, the way seventy percent of the Quran talks about us as non-Muslims and how we should be treated. But why is this book not even allowed to be criticised? It's pushed and it's pumped, and it's like that's what I, again I'll quote Gert Wilders. Gert Wilders said, "Well, mine will hit this book's band." Why is, why is the Quran not bad? Yeah, the level of hatred, the level of violence, the level of intolerance. I think many Muslims are naive to it. Many Muslims don't understand it or pick or, or follow it. Um, many Muslims treat it like a buffet. They take the bits they like, which if that helps them in their life, great. But you can't ignore the sheer hatred that, and the violence, the cause of violence, when it has such an influence. Just look around. Look to Afghanistan. Look to Iraq. Look to Pakistan. Look at the views. Look at Pew Research and understand how they think about freedom of speech, how they think about women, how they think about homosexuals. And that all will change the culture of a nation. It's changed my town. It's totally changed my town. My town's not an English town anymore, and it never will be again. Um, I, I want to come back to the Israel-Palestine conflict. Uh, I see many people on the timeline claim that uh, Gaza is an open, open-air prison. Do you agree with that statement, um, or do you disagree? Um, I've looked at many... I've looked at many videos of Gaza that doesn't seem like an open-air prison before this. Yeah, before this. If it is an open-air prison, they're being held captive by Hamas. Um, what, what, do, what do you do as Israel? So a lot of the, when they say they seize more land, like the Golan Heights, yeah, because they had to have a strategic safety point because you kept attacking them. Yeah? If it's, it's like the saying, if, Israel, if Hamas put down their weapons tomorrow, there'll be peace. If Israel puts down their weapons tomorrow, they'll be gone. They'll be gone. Yeah? So... Well, it, well I, some I, I, people would argue that, you know, the Golan Heights is about the seizure of oil and, and oil resources. And I, I see them saying this about Gaza now. I see that. I see, I see these arguments. Who, I, I believe when I look, yeah, I understand when we invaded Iraq and Afghanistan, yeah, unlawful, illegal, should be brought to justice. Our government leaders should be. Um, I can imagine what it's like for the people living in those countries who were just getting carpet bombed, innocent people dying. No one cared. We went and robbed the countries. So I get the arguments on, on either side. What I'm saying is the mindset of, and, and most of these groups, whether it be Hamas, I think were created by Israel yeah, to, to, to go against Fatah, but also the Taliban, we supported them, we funded them because ideologically it, it helped us at the time for our geopolitical um, arguments with, with the Soviet. So lots of these different things we've created. We, we in Britain have given home to Islamic radicals and jihadists. We've allowed them to grow. Yeah? Not thinking it's ever going to bite us in the ass, but then it has. Because the other one is a uh, theory that there's a Ben Gurion Canal project, and that's another reason why Israel wants to annex more land. Did you hear anything about that? No. No. Okay. I went to Israel. I went to Israel, and when I went to Israel, as I said, every Arab I met, I asked them. I asked them. So I say to most people, most people who criticise, I say, "You ever been there? Have you ever been to a, a um, Islamic refugee camp where they where they are? Have you spoke to them?" No. Okay. So everything I thought, yeah, you know, the big wall, the Gaza, I thought there was this big, massive fuck off wall. Yeah. It's fucking, it's about 20 meters long. Huh? It's about everything I thought. And then, so when I was there, I went up to, I asked a Muslim, it was by the Golan Heights. I said, um, about Israel, are you happy in Israel? He goes, of course I'm happy in Israel. He goes, where do you think I want to be over there in Syria? He goes, I pray five times a day. I've got everything I want. Yeah. He looked at me like I was an idiot. So I, I, I went and questioned, I, I, and then I, I went into disputed territories, which is when I went to the Fatah refugee camp. And at the end, I sat down, and there's a video of this. I sat, I sat down with the Muslim lad when I got back to the safe zone and told him who I was. I said, can I tell you who I am? I said, I'm probably the lead activist against Islam in Europe. Yeah? Um, 
And I talk about this issue in Palestine. So I had to come and visit. Yeah? I had to come visit. I spent time with another lady. Um, she was stabbed 11 times, macheted up. Her friend was murdered in front of her. But then the thing that threw my head was the fact the Palestinian Authority pay these people. So when you see an attack, I always blame it on jihad. Yeah? I think that's a jihadist attack. Then I started thinking, are they mercenaries? Is this just a mercenary attack? And then the bloke saying we've had four times, his words, his words, Muslim refugees, do not fund free Palestine. It does not come to us. We will always be refugees. Do you know I walked out of there? I wanted to give them money. Yeah. So I walked out of the refugee camp. I wanted to give them my money and help them. So it works because they bring the West politicians in there. They bring them in there. They show these conditions. Everyone gets upset, Yeah, which you would when you see the kids. I was upset. Yeah, I think, fucking what, these kids are living here? Where they've got nothing, they've got no hope. They're fourth generation, and their kids will live here, and their kids will live here. But who's keeping them living there? I believe Hamas are keeping them living there. I believe it benefits. I believe instead of buying rockets and missiles, they could have helped their community. But they don't. They want war. They want Israel. They want Jews. And why do they want Jews? Because the Islamic scripture tells them they want Jews. Mohammed taught them to hate Jews. I don't believe the whole conflict well, is about Israel. How do these... Uh... How do these groups of people uh, view black people? Um, uh, is it similar to how they view uh, Israelis and Jews? Are they cool with black people? I just want to know where I stand with them. Are who cool with black people? What's that? Uh, the, the, cool? the, the, uh, the Islamic. Um, they're, they're cool with anyone who converts, man. I know Mohammed, what did he refer to black people as raising heads? <laughs> I think that's in the scripture. That's where his scripture was. I always say to black lads who are converted jail, mate, he called you a racist. But, um, I, but I was in jail and we're lost. We are lost, yeah? In the UK, we're lost. Our generation are lost. We're lost in identity, lost in who we are. I remember there was a lad called Hobbs. I was in, I was in solitary confinement. He was in a cell next to me. I said, bruv, where are you from? Yeah, Where's your family from? Jamaica. I said, you're from one of them. And every time he come out of his cell to prove a point, he put his prayer mat over his shoulder. We used to argue all the time. Yeah? And then I've seen him come. I said, you are from one of the richest countries in the world in culture identity, more churches per square mile than anywhere in the world. And you're walking around here calling everyone Aki. Yeah? You're, you've joined something. And when I questioned him about what, this is the problem, I questioned him about beliefs, actually true Islamic beliefs about Muhammad's teachings. He didn't agree with any of them. The imams then come and say, because I, I believe most people are converting because they're searching for an identity, a belonging. Islam gives them that. It's very powerful. It's very strong. Yeah? It welcomes them. So black people, mate, you're welcome. If you join Islam, they'll welcome you with open arms. Same with white people. And then, well, and it gives you... Yeah. Hasn't there been a failure uh, of Christians in the church? I mean, when you look at the Islamic world, you don't see the high rates of transgenderism and, and rainbow uh, coalitions. But in the West, you see uh, a ton of this, which in some people's minds would say, well, maybe... You know, Islam is the superior religion to create an empire. Uh, you yeah, know, they keep their women wrapped up. Our women run around and walk around half naked. I understand the argument, yeah, as well. And I sympathize with the argument in the fact when, when I was looking at sexualization of kids through the LGBTQ plus alphabet mafia in the schools, yeah, that the Islamic community would be your allies in, in, in battling this. And they've been battling it in the UK. Yeah, They've been battling it in the UK. They will not battle down they won't bend to it but when we say the west it's like and we, we look at that is that can you blame christianity on that i don't see it in russia russia's still very christian poland's still very christian ain't many transgenders running around there yeah it's the countries in the west where we've lost identity the church don't, i believe most of the people in the church don't even believe in jesus yeah now i believe they're marxist they're using it for political political ideas the pope 
the mo most recent Pope just brought two buses of trannies into the Vatican. It's like this is absurd. Yeah? It's, it's certainly not religious. It's certainly not Christian. So I believe that Christianity failed and our church leaders have failed. It's become weak and cowardice. It hasn't always been weak or cowardice, so we wouldn't still be here. Yeah, There's been so many attempts to wipe out Christianity. weren't weak. As I said, with the Ottoman Empire, whatever battles you want to go through. But I believe that, yeah, the church has failed. It's failed us. It's failed to modernise. It's failed to connect. Um, there's been a lot of failures within it, even paedophile failures of the Catholic Church, sick practices and infiltration of it and the use of it for abuse of children, um, which will turn a lot of people against it. And Islam's filled a void. When you break a country of its belief and identity, something's going to fill it. Islam's filled it in the UK, uh, and it's filling it in the UK. And then you have people like, whether it be Andrew Tate or what's the other dude's name? Um, Nico? Sneeko? Sneeko? Is it Sneeko in America who's converted to Islam? No, he's fuck all about Islam. I sit and listen to him talk and think, you don't know anything about it. Yeah? So you hear telling people to convert to saying you know nothing about. It's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, It's pretty embarrassing. And then all of a sudden, when he I watch Sneeko's thing, he starts finding out things about it. He's like, oh, bruv. The problem he's got, same with Andrew Tate, they can't leave it now. Why can't you leave it? They want to kill you more than they want to kill me. Punishable by death. Yeah? You can't come out now and say you're not a Muslim. So you want to escape the slavery of the Matrix, and you've just joined the slavery of Islam. And you can't even, you're never able to tell the truth on it. You're never going to be able to tell the truth in it. I can sit down with you and go, there's verses in the Quran that tell Muslims how to marry a prepubescent child, but how to divorce the prepubescent child. There's rules about divorcing a prepubescent child. So as I say, like Sneeko, look me in the face and tell me you actually believe that. Yeah? Look me in the face and tell me that you believe Muhammad at 56 years old, at 53 years old married a six-year-old and you think that's acceptable. Yeah? Why, really? do you, I know. why do you think Sneeko and Andrew Tate decided to join Islam? I believe that I believe that when you, I, think, I think Andrew Tate, I, I'll talk about. I know Andrew Tate. We're friends. Yeah, we're friends before all of this. So he's from my hometown. Um, I believe he was cancelled, probably in a corner. Yeah, when he was cancelled, Islam gives you a very strong base, a very strong base who will fight and defend for you. Yeah, it's like when it when when they got charged, there was um, imams and high influential people from Saudi Arabia, Dubai, all speaking up for them. No Christians be speaking up for them like that. Yeah? It gives them a support base. I think that from when Sneeko done, I start, they started taking them on like a touring guide to help convert. And I believe if you look at Islam in Qatar, if you look at Qatar, Qatar's money they're putting into France to control the Islamic community of France. They, they control entire swathes of France, Qatar do. Yeah? They fund, they, the way they used to do it is through madrasas, mosques, Islamic schools. My my hometown, Luton, has a centre called Discover Islam. It's a centre, a shop in the town centre, whose job it is to convert everyone to Islam. They're funded by Qatari money, Saudi, Saudi money, Iranian money. All the money's coming in. And that's how they used to convert for their Islamic supremacist ideas, yeah? Then now it's influencers, yeah? Now it's not about getting out on the street and having a dower store and, and converting people as they walk past. Now it's about getting them on here. Yeah. The amount of TikTokers, I go through, search through the TikTokers, all these influential TikTokers now do. I saw some girl the other day, yeah? She's like, oh, since the Hamas conflict, some black girl in America. She's a big TikToker. I picked up the Quran. Yeah. I started reading the beautiful Quran. Yeah. I think, oh, fuck, how much have you been paid for that? How much have you been paid for that? So I think now that's what we're seeing is, is financial influence, which they've spent billions every year, billions and billions and billions to spread Islam through Europe, to fund mosques, 10 million on this mosque, 5 million on that mosque. What would it cost to pay Sneeko? What would it cost to influence people like this? Yeah, nothing in comparison to sell their souls. So, um, so, you, so you mentioned that they have a base, right? Oh, that's if, 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 if what's the alternative base? 
if it's not Islam, what base do, do people, whether they're American, white, whatever? John Tate messaged me. Tate messaged me saying, Yaks, because my, my nickname is Yaks growing up. He goes, bruv, do you want your son to come home a Muslim or do you want him to come home a tranny? <laughs> when did he text you that? He texted me that when he converted. <laughs> when he converted? <laughs> when he converted, I was like, what's going on, man? And he, te he texted me that. I said, I don't want him to come home either, bro. I want him to come home a strong young Englishman who's confident. Yeah. And yeah. my son changed his physique in such a way from listening to Andrew Tate's beneficial messages of being a man, being a strong man. Yeah. My son aspired to Andrew Tate, looked up to him. Um, but then I feel that when people are telling people to convert to an ideology that is problematic for the West, it's problematic for freedom, it's problematic for women, I believe that there has to be a level of... Um, that has to be criticised at least. So what's the, oh, what's the alternative, though? If, if you can't go to Islam, who do you go to? Well, not the Christian church in the UK. Okay. So I know, I, know, I know the argument you're putting is, what, what, I've said this, what, what is the West? What's the West currently now? What rainbow flags? Yeah, I was going to go to Russia and um, I was going to do a, a documentary on Russia, on Donbass, on the Ukraine conflict, on how it started, on the Russians that were set fire alive, on telling on, on the lies that we're being pumped in the West. And then compare, we're supposed to hate Russia as people. Yeah, they're, they're, they're encouraging anti-Russian discrimination in our country, celebrating it like you can just hate the Russians. Yeah, That's what's being encouraged, a level of racism against them that's being influenced by our politicians and our, and our media. Yeah. What is that? What does Russia have? Strong families, strong identity, strong church. They ban transgenderism. Yeah, they ban the pollution. All these things against kids. What are what are we? So the argument is, if that's if that's Russia, what are we? What what are we now? We're confused, lost, no identity, rainbow flags, transgenderism. So I do I get the I get the argument. We we in the West are an embarrassment now. Um, so there is nothing again, to turn to then. There is something to turn to. Turn to your own identity of who you are. Like, I know who I am. But that I'm would English. be individualism, right? And not collectivism, which is what we need, right? There's no group to, to, to join. There's no group group to join now. Not now. Not in the UK. We had the English Defence League, which the English Defence League was a street protest movement where everyone knew who they were. What happened to, the, ED, was, what happened to the EDR? I left it. I, I ended it in 2015. Wow. I ended it at that time because I took it. To, I took on the streets. We went. We went into into Islamic areas, really, yeah, in, in our thousands. And I felt that we'd pushed it as far as we could push it at that time. I felt we were lucky that no one had been killed. On That six Muslims got caught with guns, bombs, and IDs on the way to kill us, yeah? Mm. They got 30 years. Our demonstration, they were going to blow up our demonstration. If that would have happened, we could have seen sectarian conflict already at the, on the streets of the UK, I believe, yeah? And I, I think that we, we, we wanted to raise awareness of issues, we'd brought a lot of them to the forefront. I then felt at that time, this was before social media exploded. The way to talk to people was getting two, three, four, five, ten thousand people on the street and giving your speeches to them. Then it became this. So then in 2015, I went into journalism and I thought, I want people to see what I see. I want them to understand what I understand. If I go into a town, I just need to make it, I don't need to bring five thousand people in that town. I just need to make a video of that town. I need to go and interview someone in that town. I need to understand what. Racism's happening in that town. The rapes are happening. So then I, I threw myself, and it was so much easier because when I led the English Defence League, I'd get criticised for the behaviour of certain members of the English Defence League. We were a nationalist organisation who flew the flag of our country, which attracted 
the brave, the courageous, and at times the stupid. Yeah? So it was very difficult to lead that. And I felt that a lot of my time was spent trying to cause, trying to stop the divisions within the own movement. So I wanted to concentrate on myself as such and on my, my uh, skill, skill, skills as a journalist and concentrate on that, which is what I then done. So, so and I've do done some, journalism. Some personal consolidation. That makes sense. Yeah, I spent, I, I done it after 22 weeks of solitary confinement. So I sat in solitary confinement thinking, what am I doing? Where am I going? Where does this go? I had a lot of time to think. Um, I also felt that we'd pushed it. We'd pushed the street level. I, I, I sort of changed my mind now at the minute thinking that we need a street presence again. Um, we wanted to, so I went to my journalism and then I've, I've got censored from everywhere, deleted from everywhere, deplatformed from everywhere, attacks on me. You can, if you go on Facebook now and write Tommy Robinson, you'll get, a, you'll get a delete, you'll get a strike. You're not even allowed to say my name. He said what? what? If you go on Facebook, I've done, if you go on Facebook and put a picture of me up or, or write my name, they'll delete it and you'll get a strike and a warning. <laughs> so I'm on the level. When I looked, so there's one of their one of their top people in Facebook is getting interviewed in, by da on Danish TV. And he says, oh yeah, he's, he, uh, Tommy Robinson's on the same level and he named some Serbian bloke. So I thought, who's that? So I looked up who the bloke was. He killed 5,000 people in one day. Mm. I'm like, hold on. How am I on the level of this dude? I've never been convicted or tried of anything. I speak openly and honestly about what I believe and factually. I, I base it on facts to do with scripture, to do with history, and I'm I'm you're not even allowed to mention my name. You know, but I think that with me, I if there was one person in the UK that can galvanise people on the streets, it's probably seen as me, yeah? and that terrifies them. If someone wants to rally people on the streets, um, which they don't want, then um, it would be me, which is why I, I think I faced huge attack, imprisonment. I've been in ten different prisons for my activism, my work, um, censored at every level. I'm, I'm grateful for Elon Musk giving me back my platform. Um, um, uh, Jonas asked, uh, thank you for the super chat, Jonah. He says, um, did he blame the house of orange as I do? Does he blame the house of orange? Yeah. I think he's talking about some historical context in regard to William of orange, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, oh, okay. Cassius cam says, uh, I'll say it a thousand times prioritizing the collective makes weak individuals prioritizing the individual makes a strong collective. Yeah, I, but when people think of it, like, I just see my friends, yeah, who just think of themselves now. Like, I had this with my ex-wife, yeah? I've got three beautiful children. And when all this was going on, we have, I've had threats to kill me, threats to kill my whole family, yeah? Um, plans, tax at the houses, all sorts of things. And when she's talking about I said, like, do you not see that this is far bigger than our three children? For me, this is far bigger, yeah? If we do not stop the decline we're heading to, if we don't awaken the public to the danger that we're in with open border immigration and the level of it that's coming in and the ideas that are being propagated and pushed, if we don't change that, what do you think it looks like for our kids anyway, or their kids? Mm. And I always think, I think deeply about it. So I think that if we just think of ourselves, if I thought of myself, you know, I moved out of Luton, I had seven properties, I had two businesses, I was sound. I'm going to move to a nice village. I don't care what's happening in Luton now. That's a, that's, and that's how everyone is. I don't care what's happening in Luna. At some point, you're going to have to care about your country. You're going to have to have a commitment for your country. You're going to have to... I, and I, I sort of said this when, when, a, when, some, when someone hurts or someone gets affected, we feel it. You know, I feel it in my country. If, if a bomb's gone off in Manchester and it's attacked our country's people, I feel that. Yeah? And we have to start caring more about everyone rather than just about ourselves. That's how I feel. So when we're talking about collectivism, that's what my mindset is. And if we had pride in who we were or pride in our community, we wouldn't have allowed any of this to happen anyway. 
Yeah. We wouldn't allow it. And Poland wouldn't allow it. You see, if they started acting the way they're acting in Europe, in countries like Poland and Hungary, the men would not allow it. They haven't been weakened yet. They haven't been feminized yet. They haven't, they're not bitches yet. And the problem with most of us is we're all, we're all financed up to here. They've got us in that position that we can't step out of line. We're working every hour to pay the bills for the house, for the car, for this. Literally step out of line, you've done. And then most people, I don't blame them. They've got kids to feed, families to feed, so they just self-censor, keep your mouth shut, whisper about it at work. Um, I'm going to begin to land this plane here. Um, uh, we're going to take phone calls. Um, at the end of this interview, uh, I want to thank Tommy, allow him to leave, and then we'll take phone calls. If you want to get in line for the phone calls, text Hotep in your name to 202-596-5631, 202-596-5631. Savrick says, uh, Aristotle, no man is a slave if better off free. Uh, meaning if a group cannot contribute to society, then they are better off a slave to the state. Imagine you need a population in bondage to Big Daddy Gov. Mm. Damn, that's one hell of a super chat there. Thank you, Savrix, for supporting the channel. Um, Tommy. Uh, we don't have freedom. We don't have freedom. But in, 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 the way, in, in Europe, we are a post-free speech era. Don't kid yourself. Yeah. yeah. That's why the Constitution. And, and do you have free speech in America? Is it really free speech if your government are working with big tech to censor certain people and politicians to control the narrative in the media? Do you have it? I know you've got your constitution. I wish we had a constitution. As I said, I wouldn't be facing two years in prison if I had a constitution Yeah, for, for a film. But we live in a post-free speech era where you only re the country I thought I lived in, when I started my activism, I realized it was a very different country. Jesus Christ. Like, there is no free speech and there is not even no free speech. There's no shame. They, they do. And, and, and it's not just about talking about open border immigration. It's, it's, it's like when I got censored, a lot of people celebrated it in the UK because I speak uncomfortable conversations that challenge people's minds and think, Jesus Christ, they, they don't want to hear it. Most people don't want to hear it. I think now they're more susceptible to hear it than ever before. Mm -hmm. But people were right with me being censored because I'm from a poor background. I'm a working class lad. I've got a history. So people don't mind me being censored. Then they started censoring doctors. Nurses, <laughs> they start censoring everyone, yeah? and then you start realizing shit. So a lot of people are like, hold on a minute. So you might find yourself on the free uh, on the right side of free speech now, but the goals continually shift. Yeah, transgenderism. You weren't you were allowed to talk about that twenty years ago. Now you'd be beaten down by the trans lobby. Yeah, so it's continually shifting. What's next? Minor attracted people, sex pedophiles. They continually moving. They're continually shifting. We don't have freedom of speech, man. So we talk about freedom. We ain't got it. We ain't got it. Democracy. Um, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do about this problem? Uh, what do you? What do you? What's some advice you would give people? Uh, you know, in your country, um, in America or abroad. Um, what what advice would you say? What are we supposed to do? I've asked that loads of times myself, man. I've asked myself it. Um, I believe that if everyone was awake to the danger we have with the Islamization of Europe and what that sh looks like in the future, if everyone was aware of it, we'd have a revolution tomorrow. So, but they're not. Yeah? So what can I do? I can make them aware. I can use my time. I can have conversations. I can challenge ideas. That's how I see my role. That's what I saw my role as now is to try and awaken people, to try and make them think, to try and enlighten them. What else can we do? Um, Again, Andrew Tate, since listening to Andrew Tate, I think that I've done a lot of activism in, since 2009. I wish I was fit, healthy, didn't drink the entire in the entirety of that time. Yeah? Mm. I've only, I've only, it took me till I was 39 to realise that. Yeah? Mm. And then 
you are fitter, you're healthier, you're more able. We shouldn't be taking medication, I don't believe. We shouldn't be going to doctors for their medication. They want you hooked on medication. They want you weak. They want you vulnerable. I think the answer to all of it is the outdoors and the gym. That's something that, and I, th I encourage that to everyone. If you're feeling down, go for a walk, go for a run, get outside. Um, don't take any antidepressants. Don't get on their medication. And I think that it, we should be creating that in our next generation of kids. If you, oh, I looked at pictures the other day from the 1960s. Everyone was lean, everyone was fit, everyone was healthy, and everyone was dressed smart. I look at us now and just think, geez, what's happened, man? What's happened? But again, I think that's target. I think that's target through fast food, through, through processed meat, through all these different things. Yeah? They don't want us fit, they don't want us healthy. So that's why Andrew Tate, I think they come down like a ton of bricks. He's building a generation of kids who want to be strong, strong, healthy, fit fighters. Um, and that's what I think we need to be. So if I could give people personal, personal advice, I've been through in some terrible situations I've managed to get through them. I've been in dark places, low places, desperate places with, with, with what's happened, whether it be prison sentences, trying to live with the fact that you know people want to kill you when they get sentenced to 30 years. I think, right, I, I feel like I'm walking with a terminal illness now, yeah? Because uh, of what I'm saying, people will want to murder you. But how do you deal with that? I'll be in the best place ever to deal with it by being fit, healthy, and, and, and straight. I say straight from alcohol, straight from anything like that. And I think that we, uh, we all need to check what we think is normal. Because I grew up thinking it was normal to get off my, get, get off my head every weekend. Uh, um, let's, let's say you ran into a magic genie and he ran out of three wishes. He's only got one left. What, what would you use that one to wish for? If you could wish for anything in this world, what would you wish for? Another three wishes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, um, what would I wish for? I don't think Islam should. I, I think Islam without Europe without Islam is peaceful. Europe without Islam has a safe and bright future. I think that Islam has the power, in the words of Church, Winston Churchill, Islam has the power to take Europe back to the Dark Ages. Mohammedans, which is what Churchill used to believe in. With Sir William Gladstone, there was, no, there was no debate about interpretation back then. Yeah, Everyone knew that the, the phrase Islam is religion of peace was never said until George W. Bush. Go through the history books. It's never been said that Islam's a religion of peace, ever. Yeah, till George W. Bush. Right? Then it got said so many times that now everyone says, oh, Islam's religion of peace. No, it's not. It never has been. Every Islamic leader's always said it's a, it's a conquest. It's a warlike manual. Yeah. Now, Sir William Gladstone held the Quran above his head in Parliament and said that he's one of the best leaders this country's ever had in Parliament and said there'll never be peace on this earth so long as we have this book. It's a violent and cursed book. Like, we've moved into an era where you can't tell the truth where you can't speak open, honest facts about history, about wars, about people. Mohammed, the people, and even now we've created this Islamist and Islamism. Yeah? People have done that because they don't, they want to feel comfortable talking about Islam. Because yeah? when you say Islamist, I sat down with some Muslim lads, uh, scholars, and they said, well, it's Islamism. No, Islamism is enforcing political Islam on people. I said, okay, was the Prophet Mohammed an Islamist then? Yeah, he was. So Prophet Muhammad was an Islamist. That's what you're saying. So what you're saying is you want to give a protection to Islam because everything you're talking about is Islam. So I think I've said from day one, we need to be free to criticise Islam. Let's have a conversation about Islam. You're not even really allowed to have that. We have Islamophobia, bigger hatred, racist, hate speech laws that they're bringing in across Europe to control what you're saying. But what we've seen over the last three, four, five weeks with the pro-Hamas demonstrations is that these hate speech laws aren't for everyone. They're for us. Yeah? You're allowed to call for jihad. If you've seen the calls coming out of the mosques in the UK, like I'll send you some of them after this. Hope there are calls coming out of the mosque calling for the murder of Jews, calling for the destruction of Israel, calling for jihad, literally saying, that we need jihad, now's the time for jihad. In the mosques, yeah? yet you'll nick someone for saying something about someone being gay. You'll kick their door off and arrest them. Yeah? The, the laws are there for us. 
the laws are there to silence criticism of certain things, and they're not there for certain communities that they're fearful of, and they're constantly fearful of, and they're constant. So yeah, they're constantly um, fearful of the reaction. Oh, uh, how do you want to be remembered? You're not going to be here forever. You know, someday you're you know you're going to transition into the next realm. You're no longer going to be on this earth. How do you want people to remember Tommy Robinson? How would you how would you want them to you know, if you could just say the words that they would repeat, what, what would those words be? They told the truth no matter what. They didn't change. They didn't back down from it. I always say, um, what was I saying? Death, prison, or glory, we shall not sub submit. That was during the English Defence League. We were a bit more militant in the English Defence League times. But it was, um, it's that we won't submit. I won't submit. I'll never submit. Yeah? And I'll never stop telling the truth. And this is the truth. And the reason why I do that, and trying to have this, like, as I said, I've got three children. I've been taken away from them plenty of times. I'm going to be taken away from them again now. But trying to explain to them that this, if this doesn't stop, if your borders aren't closed in the United States, you see that your beautiful country that's set an example to the world, it's not going to be beautiful anymore. Yeah? You're going to have destruction, chaos, and division. And that ain't going to leave. And it ain't going to change. It's going to get worse, especially if you have the influence of Iranian money, Qatari money, Saudi money. And then they influence a community and they want to change that community. Yeah, and then it is powerful. Okay, the mosque ain't just to pray in; it's command and control center. Yeah, and it controls the entire community. And your politicians, what you won't understand is just how much they'll pander and bend for them. Yeah, because they only care about being kept in power. The Islamic demographic, I think, it used to be five point six. I think it's three point seven children now. We have one point three. Yeah, it's unsustainable. Okay, but we're paying for that. Like my local imam's got fourteen kids and three wives. Yeah, we pay for all three of those houses. We tax, there's lots we could be doing to address this, yeah? but we're not. There's lots of things we could be doing to encourage marriage, encourage birth rate for our own community, for our own people, which we don't. Hungary do. And he's, he's called a, every name under the sun by all the Western leaders. So I think um, I just want people to remember, I'll say myself, is that told the truth no matter what, no matter how uncomfortable. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect because I make lots of mistakes at the same time. I'm just a human being, but my heart's in the right place. And I, I, love, I love my country. I love my children. And I want it, I want it to be protected. Hmm. I do not want Islamic nation. I do not want Islamic influence in my country. Great talk, man. Tommy Robinson, thank you for coming to the channel, man, and gracing us. And I grift. You said what? And I grift. These are my books. It's Christmas in three, four weeks, yeah? Anyway, you can what get what books you got? This is my life story, my autobiography. I bought it out in 2015. Okay. Um, this is a story of growing up in Luton, away from the headlines. It gives you the idea of why I am who I am, what I saw growing up. Um, so that's my life story. Then I bought this one out last year. It went to number three on Amazon, but then they deleted it. So you can buy Hitler's book on Amazon in 20 languages. You cannot buy my book. Yeah. The level of this, that, and it's called Silenced, ironically. Yeah. It's called Silence. But um, it's, this, this tells the story of big tech censorship, government interference, the unholy alliance of the media, all of them work together, yeah, in order to silence and destroy you. And this one brings it up till last year. So they're both in the books. They're available at trsilence.com. That's my grift. People call me a grift. I say, yeah, I'll grift. I don't care. Right? Got to pay the bills, don't I? <laughs> we might, we <laughs> might be, we, we might have to get Tommy nominated on Grifties. Go to grifties.com. <laughs> nominate Tommy Robinson for the Grifties, man. Hey, Tommy, oh, thank you, man. I'm going to take phone calls after you get out of here. Just go ahead, hit the leave button. I'll take over the show from here. Thank you, bro. See you later, man. All right, later. Cheers, bro. Bye-bye. Wow. Let's go to the phone lines. 202-596-5631. 202-596-5631. I'll be right back after this short, brief commercial break. <laughs> 